Welcome to the EAU podcast. In this edition, we have Dr. Arjun Nambiar, a member of the EAU Guidelines Panel for Non-Neurogenic Female LUTs, discussing this new guideline, highlighting a number of key recommendations and giving a short overview of the methodology behind them. The new guidelines have replaced the old urinary incontinence guideline. What was the thought process behind this? The old urinary incontinence guideline was itself developed from scratch around 2010-2011. And it was an immensely detailed, very well written and thoroughly researched piece of work. So I think the first thing to say is to thank all the panelists that had input into that over the last 10 years or so many of whom I worked very closely with, and I'm lucky enough to still call friends and colleagues. The focus of that guideline, however, was urinary incontinence, both male and female. And we felt that focusing only on incontinence meant that we were neglecting a large number of patients who present with other lower urinary tract conditions and symptoms that were not covered anywhere in the EAU guidelines compendium. And as a urology guideline, we felt that we needed to broaden the scope to include those conditions. This would also mean we would have better integration and distribution of topics with the male LUTs guideline by moving male incontinence to the male LUTs guideline and rebranding this as the non-neurogenic female LUTs guideline. And I think it's also a more reflective, it's more reflective of clinical practice in the way it's structured as it follows the patient pathway from presentation to diagnosis and to focus management. So what is new in this new guideline? Well, As I alluded to earlier, the structure of the guidelines is reflective of the patient pathway. So it starts with a general diagnostics section, since most patients simply present with one or more symptoms from where a diagnosis needs to be reached. And we then move on to disease-specific management based on the various pathophysiological diagnoses that represent female LUTs. Of course, the section on stress incontinence and mixed incontinence has remained largely intact, as it was already very well compiled. It was just simply updated to reflect the latest evidence. But a new section on overactive bladder is included because previously we only had urgency incontinence, which was covered in the guideline. And also we have new sections on bladder outlet obstruction in women, underactive bladder, and updated updated sections on urethral diverticular and nocturia. Of course, we also have new panel members as well, who I must also acknowledge for the stellar work that they've done in putting this guideline together in what have been less than ideal circumstances over the last two years, with meetings mainly being online or over Zoom and correspondence mainly via email. So it's been even more challenging than it might have been, but the whole panel has risen to that challenge extremely well. In your opinion, are there any particular highlights or new recommendations from the guideline that stand out? We are particularly proud of the new underactive bladder and bladder outlet obstruction sections as they've never been covered before in the EU guidelines compendium. And as we all know, they are an important cause of female low urinary tract symptoms. It's impossible to say that any one or two recommendations are more important than others, but I will point out a couple of recommendations from the OAB and the bladder outlet obstruction sections because we have carried out new systematic reviews on both these topics specifically for these guidelines. And these full publications should be coming out early next year. So for OAB, the recommendations that I would point out are, first of all, do not routinely carry out urodynamics when offering first-line treatment to patients with uncomplicated OAB symptoms, and that's a strong recommendation. Offer bladder training as a first-line therapy to adults with OAB or urgency urinary incontinence. That's also a strong recommendation. 
And offer me a background as an alternative to anticholinergics to women with overactive bladder who fail conservative treatment as a strong recommendation. So basically, mirabegron is no, lang- no longer necessarily only for those who have failed anticholinergics, although, of course, local costs and formulary considerations might dictate which drugs are available to you as first line. Also, for surgical treatment of OAB, intravesical Botox and sacral neuromodulation are equivalent options, with the choice between the two largely down to patient preference and tolerability factors rather than any significant difference in efficacy. For bladder outlet obstruction, I think the pick of the recommendations is to perform cystourethroscopy in women with suspected anatomical bladder outlet obstruction. That's a strong recommendation. And to perform urodynamic evaluation in women, in women with suspected bladder outlet obstruction, which is also a strong recommendation. And I think those two are particularly important purely because the nature of the treatment options will be dictated by the nature of the underlying cause of obstruction. So it's very, very important to establish that first with these two methods as well as some others possibly. Uh, before moving on to any kind of treatment decision. Is there anything about the process that guideline users or readers may not be aware of that you think forms an important part of the guideline compilation process? The methodology behind the EAU guidelines in general is extremely robust and is something we continually review and strive to improve year on year. And that's one of the key strengths of the EAU guidelines in particular, in my view. As for the non-neurogenic female LUTs guideline, we now have patient representatives as part of the guideline panel, which I think makes a huge difference to our perspective when deciding on recommendations. I mean, the grade process places a great deal of weight on patient values and preferences when formulating recommendations, but with most guidelines, these are usually best guesses or panel's interpretations of what those values and preferences are likely to be. We now have direct input from patients into our panel, which I think provides much more validity to our interpretations and it certainly helped us formulate more relevant and nuanced recommendations that are, that are patient-centric while still being based on the highest quality evidence. So I think that's probably one of the most important uh, things. That's not the case in all the guideline panels, and it's certainly not something that's widely known among users of the guidelines. So I think that is important to highlight because I think it is a standout feature of our, of our guidelines in particular. Thank you for joining Dr. Nambiar for this episode of EAU Podcasts on the new guideline for non-neurogenic female LUTs. For further information on the EAU guidelines on non-neurogenic female LUTs, please visit our website, www.euroweb.org forward slash guidelines. Further podcasts will be posted regularly on EAU guidelines topics. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe to our EAU podcast channel for regular updates.